Welcome back to The Practice of Being Seen, episode number 32. The Practice of Being Seen is about understanding who you really are and daring to share your truth with the world. This is a conversation with and for seekers, creators, and holders of transformation. We believe that stories shape relationships and relationships shape stories. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and founder of Connectfulness. I'm joined today by my co-host, Marisa Gowdy, writer and storytelling coach for healers. This is the practice of being seen. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. This is the last of my co-hosted episodes with Marisa Gowdy for this season. I will be releasing one more episode this season, and then I'll be taking about a month off and returning to the podcast in late September of 2017. Before we begin the show, here's a message from Marisa. Hi, it's Marisa here. As we near the end of my particular practice of being seen journey, and Rebecca prepares to take it on, we're offering you an episode with my teacher, with Eleonora Amendolara, the woman I've been studying with for over 10 years at the Sacred Center Mystery School. From her, I've learned energy healing, I've learned shamanism, I've learned meditation, I've learned a way to live my life and engage in my life so that it's based more in response rather than reactivity, so that I understand I'm connected to some greater source that transcends so much of the everyday mind buzz of the urgency to get things done to perform to show up to do 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 and as a writer as an overachiever as a woman who has always led with her cleverness and her mind that's a big challenge for me And I invite you, as you listen to this episode, to sort of lean into that energy. If you yourself are someone who really likes knowing exactly where you stand, if you're on the heady side of things, be okay with not knowing exactly what's going to come next in this interview. If you're wondering, wait, what does she mean by that? Lean into the next moment. Stay curious. And I promise that some really interesting doors are going to open for you if you just allow yourself to be immersed in the wisdom and the mystery that Eleanor brings. So this is also my opportunity to say goodbye and to say I'd like to see you elsewhere in the digital world and in the real world. I'm going to be continuing on with my own writing, hopefully doing a lot more publishing, continuing to work with writers one-on-one, therapists and healers and coaches, those who are trying to get their ideas onto the page, either through copywriting or writing coaching. And I'll be starting my own community for writers called the Sovereign Writers Circle. And that definitely brings in the ideas that I learned from Eleonora in the sense that the goal is to become sovereign in our own reality. And for me, the writer, I find the way we do that is by looking deep within, finding our own stories, understanding who it is we're trying to connect with, who our clients are, who our audience is, and to write the stories that resonate with them. So this is going to be a community that's about establishing a writing practice and is also about taking those ideas from your own journal, from those word docs, and getting them into the world in whatever way you decide that publishing is right for you. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who has been a part of the Practice of Being Seen journey for me so far. My deepest gratitude to Rebecca for really being the powerhouse behind so much of this. And I'm so excited that she's going to be continuing on with this podcast, with her own community, with all the amazing work she does. I'm sad to be saying goodbye in so many ways. But I'm also excited for what comes next for my 
myself, for Rebecca, for this podcast, as it really gets to be an amplification of Rebecca's passions and Rebecca really is looking to see and create in this world. So again, the deepest gratitude, I invite you to listen to this conversation with my teacher, Eleonora Mendelara, and let's stay in touch. Today's guest is Eleonora Amendolara. She's a master healer, teacher, and author. She's been called a magician and an alchemist, too. Eleonora has developed her own healing system called Chumpy Illumination, which draws on the indigenous wisdom she's learned during her extensive travels to Peru and her study of mystery traditions from around the world. Eleonora's spiritual, emotional, and physical work is informed by her experience as a health kinesiology instructor and practitioner. She leads sacred adventures to Peru each year and sees individual clients in New York City and in Warwick, New York, where she also leads the Sacred Center Mystery School. So in spirit of full disclosure, I am a student at the Sacred Center (laughs) Mystery School. And so often, Rebecca has invited me to bring my magic to the work we've been doing with the practice of being seen for the last couple of years. And the way I know how to do that is based on what Eleonora has taught me. And so often the other thing we hear in our communities is you bring the woo. I love the woo. Mm -hmm. And that idea of spirituality, the woo woo, that stuff that isn't necessarily taught in graduate programs is so vital to what therapists and healers are doing these days. So Eleanor, thank you so much for being with us and bringing your very grounded woo (laughs) (laughs) with us here today. Thank you. Great to be here. And I'm really excited to get to know you and to learn more about you and the source that that grounds Marisa and so much of what she brings to us in our community. Grounded Woo. Now, that's a great title for a book. (laughs) (laughs) We figured out the next one. (laughs) I guess, yeah, I guess that's been my life path is to having grown up in New York City and having been a very intuitive child, a child who saw things energetically, but yet, you know, didn't dare to tell anybody. And, you know, just along the years, just knowing that that natural part of life is something that's not allowed in our culture. So I think I spent many, many years just trying to find a place where I could release that and let that go and then have that become part of my M.O. and the way I do things in life. And yeah, it's sort of like a grounded spirituality. Yeah. So walk us into the how of that. Like what does a day in the life of Eleonora look like? What is grounded spirituality like? Mm. In your own practice, like in your own life and how you embody it. Because I think that word embody is I'm getting the sense that that's a big piece of this too. That is such a big piece, right? It's like so many people that come to me have learned a lot of different modalities and gone to a lot of different schools. And yet what I see and sense is that they haven't become what they know. So the embodiment is when they become what they know and download it, then they can step into what they don't know that they don't know. And that's kind of the creative interchange in healing, really, when you know enough to then know nothing and then step in with your client or your family member and just explore what is. I believe some call that the beginner's mind. Yeah, exactly. This is school. Yeah. Earth, life is school. (laughs) And so when you talk about sacred mystery school, that's Mm. what you're talking about. You're talking about... Well, I'll let you describe what you're talking about. And the return of the mysteries being seen, you know, your thing is practice of being seen. Mystery school was when all of these eclectic traditions were kept underground. So now's the time to really bring them out and see them. Yeah. Right? So mysteries seen and brought to the surface, I think is why I called it a mystery school. Not so much that we were like a secret society, but that we were bringing all the secrets of the past, the present, to come together and to create something that we could use for our future and for our kids. I really do believe that we're in the evolutionary stage of growth right now. I 
totally agree with that. We are in an evolutionary stage. We're in the stage of kind of both expanding and contracting at the same time, trying to find our bearings on so many levels right now as humans. And we've done this before. Like, if we look back at our ancestors, we see that these patterns of expansion and contraction, of not knowing, of not feeling grounded, this is not a new thing in humanity. Mm -hmm. But it's a piece of what moves us, what helps us take the next step. Am I lost, or is that where we're going? Is that what you're thinking of in terms of evolution? I don't know if I'm on the same page as you. <laughs> I'm not sure. One might say we're always evolving, but I think this is a pivotal point. It really does feel like that to me. I mean, I've been traveling for the last 25 years. It feels like we've arrived someplace where we can't keep recreating the same story. Somehow we have to get out of the story, look into it, and change the format a little bit. And it's very hard for us because we're very conditioned collectively and we're also very habitual. Like we like to do the same thing every day and we hold on to our wounded security and yet we're being asked to let go of all the wounds and just step into feeling what's going on at the present moment. Feeling, feeling, feeling. So I think feeling is so scary for so many. It is. I have to edit that in Western civilization, because as you all know, I've been going to Peru since 1994 and kept going back over and over again. And I often ask myself, like, why are you doing this? And now I know that it has helped me really embody the present moment. How so? Bring us in. The whole culture there in the Andes, not in all of Peru, in the Andes, is based on an interrelationship between one another, between the earth, between the stars and them, between the mountains and them. So they don't have that mindset that they're outside themselves trying to do anything. If a conflict comes up, they take a moment, they pause, they scratch their heads, and then they solve the problem. They're solution-oriented. And they're also great farmers, so they're very much connected to the mother. And so one of the things, we were talking about the woundedness of us and how we're attached to what our mother should have did and didn't do and our fathers didn't do and should have done. And going there again and again, they would often talk about the mother as being the Pachamama, the great mother, the earth, right? And we talk about that here too, but we don't know it really from the inside Mm -hmm. out. We know it from the outside and we're trying to become that. And so they have mothers, but the great mother is the earth. It breeds, you know, they feed it, they give offerings to it. And because of that, their own mothers don't have this unrealistic expectation you know, not to mention that they're in a communal tribal society where if their mother can't come and pick them up after school, they've got the aunt and the grandmother and the, you know, whoever else is involved. So I learned a lot from just being in a place where everything is very interrelated. That is such a mastery of living in an embodied reality, eating, helping one another. They don't even have this kind of, oh, I gave you too much, you owe me this. You know, I mean, in general, that's what the energy is like there. Yeah. And at the Mystery School, you help us actually get a a handle on how much we're giving and receiving. At the end of every class, we use health kinesiology. So in the sense that that's how Eleanor brings these teachings from the Andes, what she's seen and learned and experienced over all these years to a really practical sense of like, so what does that look like in your life? As we're trying to figure out what it means to live in Aini, to have this sense of sacred reciprocity, to reconnect with the earth, we look at it in terms of like, where am I on a scale? And to me, I find that incredibly grounding and helpful in the sense that so much of our spiritual work seems like it's out there. It's hard to quantify. This is one of those gifts you've given to me is that chance to say, all right, now I see how this is working in my life. How can I make some adjustments? It's about the way I interact with my family. It's about what I ask for from other people. It's about saying, you know, maybe I'm going to plant something in the garden opposed to always buying it at the store. And this is just a question. I might be off, but 
Is it a conversation, like an ongoing reciprocal conversation about belonging? Like we belong to the earth, the earth belongs to us, we belong to each other. Yeah, we are made up of earth minerals and ocean waters. So we are of the earth and the earth is of us. Mm -hmm. There is no separation. It's integration. It's total integration, yeah. And there's such a peace and a surrender and a gratitude in really knowing that in your cells, not in your mind, but in your cells where you wake up every day and you know you're part of this rhythm that is taking you as you're trying to guide your life. It's also, there's like a flow to what's going on as well. So it's like meeting it not trying to control it, but guide the ship that you're on. How does that look in practice, like in a daily practice? Well, I am known to really (laughs) not like routine. (laughs) You know, my husband eats the same thing every morning for breakfast, the same thing at night. I really shake it up. And when I get too much into a routine, I change it. And I mean, I'm very fortunate. I have my own business. So if I find myself working more, that's how I know that I've begun to embody it over the years is, you know, I have a practice also in New York City as well as in Warwick. And I used to come back from New York City after seeing six clients. I mean, just nodding out at the wheel, so tired. And I've learned to really hold the space of my everyday life much more. So how does it work for me is that I don't really think about the future. I have my little plans, but I allow life to live with me. So if I see one more client than I should by thinking that I should be giving more because they're in dire straits or whatever, they're having problems, I get exhausted. Where this is taking me, you know, among, we work with a lot of therapist healers and I'm thinking, one of the things that there's such a need for in our community is how to tap into that intuition, into that space of what works for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing that magic coming through as you're talking right now. Yeah. That wisdom of yeah. maybe being able to share some information of how do we tap into that source that, that is within us, that knowing. How do we access that? And that's the evolutionary process right now. That's the point we're at. It's like surrender, let go, be in the moment. I mean, there's all the spiritual books are all about be here now, be in the present. And how do you actually do that when you have to pay your bills and then see clients, Mm -hmm. right? And so the magic is in knowing the flow between you and the interrelationship of you and the world. I mean, the magic of muscle testing, because we're very intuitive, Exactly. And we have, you know, intelligence in the body and we're asking the body questions. And recently, go ahead. Accessing what we already know. That's kind of what I'm hearing when you say we ask the body questions. It feels like, and I've experienced some kinesiology, I've experienced some muscle testing in my own life. So it feels to me like it's very much a way of tapping into what we have forgotten that we know, I'm going back to Sharon's interview, right? Sharon Rosen said something to us like, often we forget that we know what we know, mm-hmm. right? It's about remembering what we know. So I'm- Forgot I'm, to remember that I know what I know. Yes, I forgot <laughs> to remember that I know what I know. So I'm thinking of that phrase that Sharon shared with us mm-hmm. and thinking that that's what our bodies can remind us of. And no, not from the mind. We are not our minds. Our minds work for us. Mm-hmm. But no, in the capital K-N-O-W, the intelligence of the body is what we're tapping into when we use muscle testing. And it's just like a computer. You know, if you ask the questions in a very literal way, the body answers you in a literal way. It's been fascinating. I've come up with this on a scale of zero to 10, how stressful are you? Because of, you know, there's so many writings now saying that all of our physical issues not all, but a lot of them are caused by stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And anything over a five is too much. Anything under a five is what we're looking for. And of course, we're looking for zero to one to two. And then 50-50 of giving and taking. So if you're giving 50 and receiving 50, which is not taking, receiving, 
That means that you're nurturing yourself as you're offering mm-hmm. your services, 50-50. Most of the time when people start to come or work with me, it's like 65-35 or 70-30, exhausted, adrenal exhaustion. I mean, it shows up physically in the body. So we try to work by asking the person's body what would be some of the things that they could do. So for everybody, it's a little bit different. This seems like the part where we take all of these you know, embodied wisdoms and take us to the portal to step through to the woo, but to bring in the chumpies and talk mm-hmm. about them as what their job is in this work. Because we can talk a lot about that quantification yeah. and in our minds about thinking about reciprocity and communing with the earth. Mm-hmm. What makes your work so special and that really grounds it in it of really what I find very unique level are the chumpy stones. Mm. Can you back up a little bit and describe the chumpy stones for our listeners Mm. who've never experienced or seen them? And yeah, I'll fill it in by the chumpy stones came to me in 1994 and I use 12 stones and the first stone has one point, the second stone has two points, et cetera, et cetera. The points symbolize the mountains. The apus around mountains in Quechua that are standing there like a council around Cusco, which is in Quechua, the navel or the center. That's why I called my school the sacred center. You stand in the center as you're being held by 12 council members, you know, 12 distinct personalities or facets of consciousness, as I put that term to each one of them. And Cusco is a city in the Andes of Peru. Right. And that's really where I base a lot of the models that I'm using from. So when you're there, you feel the interconnection of you and the land in relationship to the mountains, which are connected to the constellations. As the earth is beating, you know, you're in it. So you don't have to make it up. You're in it. You can't deny it. So that's why I brought the model of the Chumpies back to this country and created a system. What I found here from working with people is that, and myself, is that we're constantly yearning for a connection. Mm -hmm. So it's the belief system that we made up, obviously, because we already are in a connection. We're just thinking we need to get there. So getting there causes us a lot of stress. uh, A lot of stress. (laughs) Yeah, how should I pray every day? Should I light my candles? What should I do to get there? It's all those shoulds that get us in trouble. Exactly. So this is a belief system that needs to be dispelled. And so if you can just arrive in the middle of a pulsating, geometric, connected place and not try. But experience. Totally experience. That's the whole key, really, is you're in the feeling, you're in the experience, and then you think about what's going on. And that's a lot of what, how I teach, too. I don't teach according to this is what you do, and then you follow what I do. This is it. I've seen pictures of Marisa's <laughs> husband standing in the middle of some of your Tibetan singing bowls, like the huge ones that a grown adult man who, if it's okay, who Marisa calls bear, just to give you a sense of, you know, he's a big man, that he can stand inside of this bowl and... You know, I've only seen the picture, but viscerally, when I look at that picture, what I experience is what must that feel like? Because he's not just standing in the bowl. There's an experience happening in that moment. And that experience is the woo. That's the magic because (laughs) that's the feeling place. And you're like, oh my goodness, what did I feel? And then you go back and you go... I say, did you feel anything? Did you see? I don't know. Am I making this up? And then you step out of that, and then, you know, that's what people do. So it's just getting more and more comfortable in that place of feeling, experiencing. And we put them around us in squares and triangles and different sacred geometry shapes. You're in a temple. You're in a template. You're in a organized, grounded container. And then... We usually include a sound, and then we always include a thought. Can you give us an example? Yeah. It was that ability to, I think I had this at a class a few months ago, that ability to kind of pause. How often do we forget to celebrate as human beings and being witness to my own process? And even as I explain it that way, though, I realize I'm kind of dropping out of the work because we wouldn't necessarily go down to breaking it 
it's more than just a psychological take on, oh, I know exactly where this is coming from. We because when you're that, in the right? yantra and you have that mantra and then you put that sound in, then all of a sudden you don't have to really think about it. You feel it first and then we discuss it afterwards. That's the key. And this is an opportunity to kind of talk about the fact that as much as Eleanor's work is based on what she's learned in Peru and what she's brought back and the artifacts that have come back, you also have done a world's worth of study of other traditions. So, you know, right now I know you're deep in the Vedic work and that's where yantra, tantra, and mantra come from. Many of us know mantra, you know, the words you might repeat to yourself, but can you talk to us a little bit more about the relationship between those? We're still going, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because the magic happens in our culture by feeling safe within a structure. And we could call that structure a portal or a doorway. But when we know, and the stones surround us, right? And when we know we're in a safe container, then that's a yantra. Yantra is a form. And yantra means form? Yeah. Okay. Yantra means the form of sound, actually. Now, if people want to picture that, like if you see this, like if you're at a yoga studio and uh, you see like the pictures of the chakras lined up and they're in those special shapes, those are yantras, right? Oh, uh, not necessarily. Those no. are petaled flowers. They're oh. more or less, yantras do have form. They're like, they're usually, you see them in a square. Right. And within the square, there are triangles. And within those triangles, there are squares and triangles. So it's the geometric form of life itself as connected to the solar system and then beyond. That if we talk about it in a literal way, we sort of lose it, right? This is a symbolic language. And the safety comes when the person lays within it. And then we have a sound, and I have gongs and bells and lots of Tibetan bowls. And I love the Tibetan bowls, and that's one of my other strong connections. And drums... And then the body will say, oh, like add this sound. So you add the sound, right? And you add a word, a word that gives it some sort of intention. The word would be the mantra. And the sound would be the tantra, the movement between word and form as you lay into it and embody that healing. It quantum leaps a person because... Most of us know a lot about why we're wounded, but it's just getting out of the brain and being in the feeling space that sort of settles everything into a congruent healing. And one of the people I had the opportunity to hear speak was Dr. Daniel Siegel, and he's an interpersonal neuroscientist. Inter. Interpersonal. (sighs) And he's met many times, and he sat with people like the Dalai Lama, you know, and he was speaking about this intersection between mindfulness and like quantum physics. Mm. And he was holding spaces for what, you know, he really calls integration. And a lot of what you're talking about right now is resonating on the same level that his talk resonated. It's coming from a different angle, but the flavor of these conversations, it's so attuned to the same energy. That's exactly what it is. And that's the juice. That's the juice. And that's the juice. And as a healer, I want to bring that integration into people's cells so that it lights them up and that it changes their reality in a way that's much more in sync with with our world, with nature, with the rhythms that exist, right? And there's a way to do it. So that's great. Quantum physics, you know, and and spirituality meeting. And I'm thrilled that you're doing this because I do have a lot of psychotherapists and psychologists that come to me and are yearning to bring the juice to... That's a good word, the juice. juice. (laughs) I like that, yeah. The The magic. I love that we're talking about magic too. In this circle. Have you shared that article with Eleanor? I haven't yet. Oh, we have to share that. The Psychotherapy Network is also a journal. It's also, they have a magazine. And there was an online article recently about how, essentially, how psychotherapy lost its magic, spelt with a K. So Mm. it's a very long, very heady article, but it's essentially, it was written by a researcher who's been studying when therapy works, like when there's certain therapists who are like what they call super therapists, super shrinks, they not only do they do the work and do it well in a short amount of time, but they produce results that are way more effective than their peers. That's what he studies. He studies those people and he looks for what makes therapy effective. And he's one of the authors of this article who's saying like therapy has lost its magic. Yeah. And that 
piece starts with the story of a woman who had lost her daughter and was going from therapist to therapist and eventually went to a medium, to a channel, to mm. speak with her daughter. Mm -hmm. And reading the psychotherapists who were so deep in academia, accepting that and saying this was this woman's healing. After this, her life changed. And mm. that kind of recognition... That was what I walked away from that arc with, just really being like, yeah, you know, we can cease to see these things as two different worlds. As, you know, we go to a therapist and they have the, the credentials on the wall from the universities, or you can go, you know, see a healer and maybe that will help too, mm -hmm. or that you're, you know, the unification of those two worlds yeah, is I, where we're going. I read something more of emerging that mm. if we're going to help people, regardless of the way that we're looking to help them, regardless of our modality, we need to enter with a point of joining. Mm. We can't meet them somewhere else and tell them that it's in their head. We need to meet them where they come to us from, yeah. which is something that our field has known, but it's not something that we always practice. It comes from the academic world too that fits everything into a system and then leaves people at that. You graduate, you get your PhD, and then you're, you know, like to infuse yourself, even with the chumpy work, mm -hmm. you have a certain modality that, you know, you put the form, you pick out the form, you have the sound and you have the word, but then it's up to you or the practitioner or the healer or yourself to like infuse that with meaning. With or with your own spirit, mm. with your spirit. And so your spirit's often left out. You know, people come to workshops, they do it on the weekend, and then they go home, and then you don't see. They buy sets of chumpies or have feathers or whatever, and then they don't use them, and then you, they come back. You mean like they can't osmote the practice? Yeah. Our spirituality is like left for like a weekend here and there, yeah. right. which we also have to change. Which, you know, there's a similarity to in the work that I do with helping, you know, therapists and healers tell their stories mm. in that desire to, you know, know, as you're saying, people have to bring their own spirit and their magic to what they're doing. Eleanor, as you're talking about mm. people needing to bring their spirit to a yeah. healing, so it's not just following these steps. I mm. think that's a lot of what Rebecca and I talk about mm. in terms of inviting therapists and healers to bring their you-ness to their practice. Mm. Mm. And you know, in my case, when I'm helping people write their stories, it's writing their website, writing you know, a blog post that has something to it that's more than five tips for beating stress this summer. It's looking within and saying, okay. It's going deeper. It's going deeper and it's getting permission to go deeper and saying, mm. that's what makes you successful. It, it makes you vulnerable, but it's not necessarily too intimate to go and share some of your story and some of yourself. You know, I'm thinking of, I see a lot of clients who are coming to me with different kinds of stress. And often they'll come in and they're talking about relationship stress because they don't know how to show up and fully be present in this new relationship or they're in this relationship and there's things that are falling apart. And as we get deeper into it, and as I take them on a deeper dive into the work, what we really learn is they're afraid of really getting vulnerable. They're afraid of really being seen because of other losses that they've experienced in their lives. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a much more existential conversation about how to show up and be present in the everyday relationships in themselves because so often what they're doing is they're cutting themselves off from all the feelings that they have about their losses. I think that's a big topic in our Western culture is... For years, we've been talking about shutting ourselves off, defending ourselves, closing our chakras down, and even in shamanic circles is just take away my pain and take away my hucha. They call it in Peru, hucha, heavy energy. <laughs> they don't have a positive and negative there. It's heavy. It's, it's heavy or light. If it's heavy, you break it down, you chew it up so you could swallow it piece by piece. Digest it. Compost. Uh -huh. Make it compost. <laughs> yeah. And... One of the things I'm also trying to teach people is to step into it because when we remember how painful it was, we really can't remember the experience of it, but we carry this ghost on our back yeah. and where it's haunting us our whole life. And so we just sort of step into it. Vulnerability is great medicine. It allows you to heal yes. and be connected to the universe. So it's just giving people that safe, secure space to do that. A lot of this work is about that. And one of the takeaways that I'm picking up, I don't know if we've said this or if I'm just intuiting it, 
But one of the takeaways is that through the Sacred Mystery School, through the teachings that you present, you offer healers a container to allow their own vulnerability to show up so that that connection can kind of show up in the room too. Oh, well, now you just made me cry a little oh. bit. Because <laughs> that's really, I think that's so important and that's really true and right on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what I've noticed is that the greatest, say, life coaches and psychotherapists have a lot of issues. Yeah, we're all wounded healers. That's why we get drawn to this. But to really become what you serve others to be is really where the magic is as well. You get as much. If you allow yourself to receive the healing that you're giving, Mm -hmm. then the rest is really amazing, transformative. And this reminds me of, I remember being at class one day and finally understanding what it meant to hold space. It's a Mm. phrase we use a lot. My husband doesn't understand that phrase. (laughs) But it's a trickier (laughs) one. We throw it around a lot and we talk about it and it's not just about, you know, sitting next to somebody. And the way I understood it Mm. in class was that it's about really anchoring in to who you are, where you are energetically, where you are in your body, and then witnessing the room very consciously through that lens. And when you are able to watch how the space is affecting you and using yourself as that tool that allows you to see, then you're really able to then take that next step into truly holding space and holding those around you. Mm -hmm. Because I think I was always just reaching my arms out and trying to embrace everybody as much as I could Mm -hmm. and and grow really long arms. Mm -hmm. But when I first recognized the way to do that first is to ground in, to know how the room is doing based on how I am responding and tuning into that as Your relationship to everything Mm -hmm. rather than... It's a bearing witness. It's not a having to fix. It's not a having to Mm. touch. It's not a having to literally hold you in my arms. But it's an I can be here with you and I can help facilitate this experience. Mm. It's the great mother. It's the great mother. Holding, right? Rather than rescuing. Right. And we all as healers and therapists want to just make people feel so good. (laughs) And they feel really good when you're the Pachamama and you're holding... I think what you said is important. It's relationship, mm-hmm. your relationship with your surroundings. So then you can be amongst all kinds of people. I have such a colorful group of clients. I have very, very hardcore religious people and very, I just have a lot a very colorful group of people. They're not just one type of person. And so, and I attribute that to my own growth because I found myself learning over the years to be in relationship with anybody. So they walk in and I don't really judge what they look like or who they are. And even in awe of, of me, I'm like, wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and sometimes it gets me into a bit of trouble. But I think that that's because of being in relationship to what is around you so that you can then know how to dance with it. Rather than you bring your own dance into it, you know? Yeah. You know, one of the things that we like to talk about on this podcast is where did this start for you? What got you to the place where Mm -hmm. you were seeking your own transformation Mm -hmm. so that you got to the place where now Mm -hmm. you're bringing this transformation (laughs) to others? But what got you started? Actually, what got me started was, I think it was in the 70s when I felt like the world was going crazy. And there was Vietnam, and there was acid, LSD, and drugs. And to me, it felt like culturally we were exploding, and which obviously was the best thing that could have happened. But I just didn't know where to go for safety. I felt like I didn't want to become any group of people. I didn't feel like I fit into the college scene or any other scene. So I decided to leave the country and go to India. And I decided to go away for a a year. So I gave myself a year's leave of absence. I was an art teacher at the time. And then I never came back. And I just went for two and a half years and de-culturalized myself. Is that a word? It Uh, is now. (laughs) (laughs) I stripped myself down of the culture that I came from and who I thought I was as a female and having children. Did I want that? You know, all of that. 
And so I stripped myself down, then I came back, and then I sort of rebuilt myself based on what I felt I was, true to myself. You know, I found the I person in that journey. And then coming back, I had children, and then I was very rebellious about letting anybody tell me what to do for them. So I searched out things that I could help them with, like medically and all of that, and the rest is history. I'm a bit of a gypsy. <laughs> you know, you talk about in the 70s feeling like the world around you was kind of chaotic. And so, yeah, I'm wondering about, it feels like we're living through a parallel experience these days. Yeah, I think it feels different, but it feels the same at the same time because the status quo exploded and everybody's seeing what is, and everybody's trying to re-relate themselves and become proactive. It's a potent time, a very potent time. It feels to me like we're living through a recalibration. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's a potent time. People are beginning to be less lazy. I think we got a little bit apathetic and lazy. And, you know, Marisa talks about sovereignty, and I talk about sovereignty, and it's about finding your choice. What do you choose? Why do you choose it? Do you like paleo because somebody said it was healthy? Or do you know that it's something that you want to try out and see how you feel with it? Or vegan or whatever the heck it is. And I think it's a time of choice. And that brings us back to the knowing. Because how do you choose? What do you have to do when you're making a choice? You have to discern. You have to know what you know. Or you have to not know anything and then feel what it feels like to eat this and to eat that and know what it feels like in your system, not because somebody said it was healthy, but because you feel it yourself, you know? It's a great time of freedom that's coming out of chaos, tremendous chaos. And I think it's okay, you know? It feels okay. I think we're in the dark night of the soul of the country and the world, but it feels okay feels like great spirits in charge of this. (laughs) We just have to put one foot in front of the other. But I mentioned before this spiritual groundedness, and I think that's sovereignty to me. That's when your spiritual self is leading the way. Yeah, and as you're talking about these times that we're living through, these chaotic times, what I'm experiencing, what I'm feeling listening to you is that groundedness. You know, like this is one of those conversations right now where I can like take a little bit more room. I can take a deeper breath. I can just feel into this on a deeper level without feeling the chaos around me. Yeah. You don't have to know everything. You just have to bring your spirit to everything that you engage yourself in and be aware of it. Mm -hmm. And then be willing, I think, to change habits. I think that's the key. Yeah. I don't know if it's habits or uh, secure rhythms, you know, that we have every day. Dogmatic routines. Yeah. <laughs> Even one right. thing, like I always say, like you drink coffee every morning, try tea. Mm-hmm. If you change the way you do things on a physical level, that's why I like to travel because I get a chance to change perspective. But on an everyday mundane level, we can do that too. Right. Wear red when you never wore it before. Right. <laughs> Something like that. Then all of a sudden, everything that you've learned seems to sit better inside of you in a different reality, in a different format, and you become more and more of you. I think our habits keep us a lot in, in an old place. And I keep thinking the idea of just changing the shape of the container. We still yeah. need the container. We need our rituals and Absolutely. routines to hold us. We know this from, from the chumpy stones, from all these different ways in which we build these cauldrons around us to hold our magic. But sometimes, what happens if you just push it off to the left a little bit further? But you said rituals, you know, that's been coming up recently, is that people don't know what to do. So they're looking for some religion to tell them what to do. I say just take everything that's sensual and pick and choose what you want to do. Like put a bowl of water outside your window to gather or to offer. Ring a bell. Do the same thing every day for a while, and that's a ritual. And so you're really spending the time to mindfully, purposefully center yourself, be in your feeling state. And I think you guys are, you know, have your rituals, but I find that most people don't. 
Well, I know right now the elements are coming in a lot into your work. Yeah. And you know, that's certainly something that for my own Celtic heritage is very yeah. important to me. And I love that it's coming through this side too. But to me, that really embodies that way of connecting to the earth and to Pachamama by thinking in terms of air and fire and water and earth. And right in there, that's a template for ritual that you can be really creative within. And play with what that means and how people might use it. And in a just day. really know and bring it up that we are air. We are part air, water, earth, fire, and ether. We mm-hmm. are that, right? So just that awareness brings us, even as I'm saying it, I'm not thinking it, I'm being it. You know what I mean? It puts you into, the, again, the being state, the, the feeling state, rather than the thinking so much state. And don't you find that people really need to know stuff before they do it? I think that knowing brings us back to trusting, right? That we're part of our this chaos right now, part of this crisis that we're all living through on an evolutionary level is comes back to trust. We don't know what to trust. We don't know what the truth is, right? We're living in like a post-truth era. We don't know what we don't know, and we don't know how to discern between what other people tell us and what we know within ourselves. And so this is the work. This is the mystical work, you know? Of, That's exactly yeah. it. It's like somebody will come in and say, do you believe in that? I'm like, I don't believe in anything. What do you know about that? Let's talk about the texture of it. Let's see how we can bring the truth to you through what your eyes, right? And that's very different than like people following what I do. You know what I mean? You know, as you bring knowing and trusting into relationship with one another, you know, I've been studying with Eleanor for 10 years and I came from an academic background that I was working in academia when I started. I wanted to know. And I think it took me about four years to start to know what the heck was going on when I would go down to the sacred center for class. And instead I just was led by trust to say right now, my usual mental markers aren't going to hold me here. How can I experience this work in another way and come home with a jumble of notes, completely incapable of explaining Mm -hmm. it to anybody, but just say, I trust that I need to keep going. And I know that there's something there for me. Mm -hmm. And it just allows us to know in a different way. Mm I think in the chaos, everyone wants to know, like people will say, is it going to be okay? Is it going to be okay? It is okay. Mm. It is what it is. And then you have to ground yourself within it, right? And try not to react to it. I know that's part of what you're probably working with a lot. Try not to, to get too ahead of it. Like yeah. trying to, there's some that say we can never actually be in the now because as soon as we realize that we're in it, we're not synced up with it anymore. But the idea that it's always just the next moment. That's the only thing we have to kind of really deal with is the next moment and then the next moment. And there's all these moments that make up minutes and all these minutes that make up hours and all these hours Mm -hmm. that make up days and all these days that make up weeks and years and months. But it's always just about the next moment. It's not about the whole conglomeration of all of them. Right. And just, it's easier when you're in rhythm with the synchronicities of the earth, you know, it's, kind of why I started to teach my classes according to spring, fall, winter, because there's a rhythm going on. And, you know, we're supposed to go to sleep when the sun goes down. I think that's how we were designed. And seasonally as well, right? Like that we wake up in the spring and come autumn and winter, there's a quietness. There's a blanket that comes over us. There's there's this last workshop, we had all the white snow outside. And, you know, as... Spring is revealing because as the snow's melting, you know, you're like, oh my goodness, I forgot I left that there, right? You see your (laughs) old shoes out there that you forgot about, or I'm finding plastic butterflies in our plastic butterflies. It's so much fun. We just found all of our shuffles, (laughs) but we used that model in the workshop. It was great. You know, it's like, what is it that is revealing itself to you? What are the secrets within you that you forgot you have? So using the rhythms of nature really helps. And the universe is conspiring on our behalf. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's become a bit of a refrain that I've heard you use again and again lately. And every time I hear it, Uh, (laughs) you know, it's just breathing into it and saying, yes, I will agree to that. And I know that to be true. The universe is conspiring on our behalves, always, Mm. no matter what we do. (laughs) Eleonora, it's been so wonderful to sit with you today and to just get this wonderful introduction to how to 
deepen our awareness of listening to ourselves and trusting the truth that can emerge from within. Well, thanks so much. And thanks for doing all your great work, the both of you. Thank you. Just as we close, it's Marisa one more time. I want to thank you so much for listening to this particular episode, this conversation with my teacher. And I want to thank you for inviting me into your world and making practice of being seen part of your life. Everyone who's been listening to this show and sending such amazing feedback has been such an important part of mine. I do hope we can stay connected. Please find me at marisagowdy.com. There you'll learn all about my individual offerings when it comes to writing, coaching, and copywriting, and also find out about the Sovereign Writers Circle that launches this fall. And I hope you'll join me for Seven Magic Words. It's a week-long challenge that I put on at the turn of every season, and we'll be doing it again at the beginning of autumn on September 22nd. Visit me over at marisagowdy.com for more to learn about how to get involved and just to stay in touch. Again, thanks so much. Be well. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation with Eleonora. I know that I will also miss Marisa on the show, and it's my hope that she and I will continue to find ways to support one another's growth and progress and offerings into the world, and I certainly hope to continue to share her work with you here on the Pobscast. There will be one more episode this season that I'll be releasing, and then we'll be taking a break and returning in late September of 2017 with another season of the Popscast. We'll pivot slightly. And it's my hope that in the interim, you go back and listen to any episodes that you might have missed. You can find them all at practiceofbeingseen.com slash podcast or on your favorite podcasting platform. It would help us to spread the word if you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I'd also love for you to visit practiceofbeingseen.com and send me a message over on the contact page, letting me know what you'd like for us to explore in future episodes. Music written and performed by Christopher Ferris and produced at Kidneystone Studio. Enjoy the rest of your summer. I'll be back in the fall. Until then, take care.